So a couple of weeks ago, before I was rudely interrupted by Chaz, who dictated what I had to preach about last week, a car pay love, because we'd done faith, hope, and so we had to do love. But I do want to get back and finish off something that I felt God was stirring in my heart for us as a people in this season, in this nation right now. See, a couple of weeks ago, I preached about hope, and uh, hope is the gadget. Can any of you remember the practical gadgets that hope contains? There were three of them. You were in the first service. Of course you remember them. Number one, hope is a compass. Remember how hope aligns us with eternity. If you don't carry the hope of eternal life in Christ, then the here and now becomes your everything. And when the here and now is not looking good, you're going to start spiraling into discouragement, doubt, and depression. But when you take out the compass of hope that aligns us with eternity, we realize this is not it. This is the opportunity we have on earth to serve the purposes of God, which are rewarded for all eternity with God. It changes us. We looked at hope as an anchor for the soul. Literally, this anchor doesn't go down. This anchor goes up to the rock who is Christ. And it anchors us to the very throne of God. And we need an anchor for our soul. We live in a world where the currents of culture pull us one direction and another. It pulls us into the thinking of the world, the doubts, the fears, the selfishness, the humanism of the world. And if we're not anchored to the very throne of our God, the throne of grace and the throne of His mercy, we can easily be drawn from our hope in Christ. And shipwrecked. But also, we looked at how hope is a prison, which sounds kind of negative, but it's not. See, the Bible tells us it says, Return to your fortress, your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. You see, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a prisoner of hope. You can never say it's hopeless. This situation, hopeless. This marriage, hopeless. My finances, hopeless. You see, God broke that when He led the Israelites out of Egypt. And as they were escaping Egypt, behind them, the Pharaoh's army, the greatest army in the world, was bearing down upon Moses and these defenseless people. In front of them was the ocean. There was no way forward. There was no way back. Imminent death. If there was a hopeless situation, that was it. And God said, let me show you that you're a prisoner of hope. And he said, Moses, stretch out your staff. And just like that, they opened up the ocean, they crossed right through on dry land, and God brought about a great victory. You see, you are born again into a living hope. Christ was raised from the dead. So whatever situation you look at that looks dead, that feels dead, it is not hopeless because we serve Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead. Amen. We have this hope as our compass, as our anchor, and as our prison. But now I want to talk today about not hope as a gadget, but hope as your grip. Keeping a grip on hope when things are starting to slide. Now we live in a nation in a time where it's very easy to feel like, oh, we're slipping, things are looking bad. The nation, the economy, my family, my health, whatever it might be in your life, you might be going through a season where you're struggling to keep head above water. How do we keep a grip? I was... um, my first year of varsity in Durban, with a couple of mates, we decided to join the mountain club. I don't know what we were thinking, but it was fun. And we used to go to these cliffs outside Durban where you would climb these different rock climbing faces. And even inside, they built this climbing wall. And I was lousy, but some of the guys were brilliant. 
And I'm fascinated watching someone skillful climb a cliff or a rock, how their whole body, they can hold the tiniest little hold, they can find a grip and keep a grip. And if you're climbing a long mountain route, actually as you climb, you're putting in your little wedges that you hook your rope onto. So the higher and higher you go, you find the little crevices, the little cracks, the little grips, so that even if you fall, that rope is there. You don't fall further than your last great hold. Fellow believers, followers of Jesus, are you able to keep a grip on the rock when the going gets tough? Are you able to maintain your hold or do you just slide into doubt and fear and discouragement and disillusionment? Today we're talking about keeping your grip on hope. I'm going to read a passage. It's a beautiful passage and I make no apology for the fact that it's quite a few verses, but I hope as you read it, the word of God would minister into your heart. Follow along with me on the screen in Romans 8 from verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Does God's spirit live in you? Are you sure about that? Because the next verse says... And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. In other words, there's no being a Christian without the Spirit of God inside of you. A Christian literally means a Christ in. When you surrender your heart to the Lord, He pours out His Spirit who comes and lives inside of you. You are born again, and the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of you. That's why baptism is like marriage. It's like marriage, the two become one. Husband and wife become one flesh. When you surrender your life to Christ, the two become one. All that's of Christ is given to you. All that's yours goes to Him. You get His righteousness and salvation and eternal love. He gets your guilt, shame. What a great marriage. It's the best arranged marriage I've ever heard in my life. So if you don't take up God on that offer, crazy. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But, verse number 10, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of? The spirit gives life because of? Righteousness. This is why righteousness is so important. Righteousness is being right with God, connected to God. So he, he, when I went to South America first time, Rock up with my phone, my iPad, all my little toys, and the batteries are running flat, but that's okay because you can plug it in and it's like, oh, cook. You suddenly realize our nice little South African plugs are not much use in Brazil or Venezuela or Colombia. All the power is there, but there's a cannot connect problem. We've got these big, fat, chunky plugs, and they've got completely different ones with slots at all. The, and suddenly you realize, if I don't get an adapter that adapts these plugs to that power, then the battery goes flat, and then it's useless. In the same way, when Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were born, we were created in righteousness, connected to God, because life flows through righteousness. When sin happened, it's like the plug was changed. Suddenly, can't connect. You see, sin separates us from God, which is now us, our life, separate from God, always run downhill and degenerate. The power of death is now at work in us and we cannot reconnect to God. No matter how hard you try, no matter how religious you are, no matter all your good behavior, there's no connection until Jesus. Jesus, like that great adapter, I had to buy an adapter for our plugs to be able to reconnect, to get connected to their power. And exactly the same way, Jesus 
gives us his righteousness. He is the righteous one. And he gives you his righteousness. So that if you've been given the righteousness of Christ by faith, you can plug back into God and out of righteousness flows life. And life comes to our heart and to our soul. And this is why righteousness is such a beautiful gift. That's why we celebrate that meal. Jesus, your body, your blood shed, your body broken so that we could be healed. Payment, your blood poured out to wash us and cleanse us. The righteousness of God given to us so we can reconnect to our God. But now look at what it says in verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Say sure. Because what that means is as followers of Jesus, do not go gently and quietly into sickness. Fight. Because the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies. Yes, we live in a world subject physically to death, which is why we get sick and stuff happens. But inside of us, we have the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who will also give life to our mortal bodies. So that means Jesus paid the price for our sickness so that we could be healed, which is why he healed and healed and healed and healed, to show the power of his righteousness at work. So yes, many of you might still be sick. Don't settle into it. This is my lot in life. It's probably from God to keep me humble. No, it's not God's will. And let's contend for healing in our bodies. Amen? Amen. So let's stir up our hearts and not just settle for less than our inheritance. Verse number 12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Obligation means a duty, a responsibility. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. What does that mean? Well, what it means is now that we've been given the righteousness of God and the Spirit of God is inside of us, we have a new master. We're no longer under slavery to sin and your body is going to squirm like a little tantrum telling you all the things that you have. I cannot live without this sin. I cannot live without this desire. I cannot live. No, no. I'm no longer under the authority of sin. I'm under the authority of Christ. His Spirit lives inside of me. And the obligation I feel. Remember, freedom in Christ, now that we're free, the freedom is not so that you can sin. Freedom in Christ means you can say no to sin. I actually don't have to keep living as an alcoholic. I don't actually have to keep being unfaithful to my wife and family. I don't actually have to keep cheating the tax man and Jesus loves me, he'll forgive me. The grace of God empowers us to say no to ungodliness and righteousness. And so we learn in Christ to find courage and strength to overcome. Remember, sin is still poison. Jesus loved us, died for us, and will give us life and forgive us. But every time you sin, you're still drinking poison. That's just the reality. It's the way it is. That's why God loves us so much, to tell us in his word what's poison and what's not. If it comes from God, it's good for you. If it comes from the world, it is poison. It might be good tasting poison. It might have a little umbrella and a pink thing and some fruit on the edge, but it's still poison. And so you might be living in a relationship and it feels so good and she loves me and we just, it's still sin. Still sin, still poison, still separates us from the life and power of God. So verse number 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Don't you love that? By the Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me to say no. Help me, Holy Spirit, not to give into temptation. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit, who received does, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Say yikes again. Yikes. If indeed, sometimes we see these promises of God and we can take the promise, put it on the fridge, put it on the bumper sticker, make a wallpaper out of it. Oh, Bible says, we share in his glory. Yes, thank you, Lord. It does say that. But it's a conditional promise. It says we share in his glory, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And sometimes we want to reject the suffering but go after the glory. No, no. The Lord invites us to carry in our lives, in our journey, there's going to be tough times. There's going to be hard times, not as punishment, but as a journey. And that's what I want to talk about today. He wants to journey us through the sufferings. Remember, God's perfect plan for Jesus was for him to die. But surely, God, you're loving and gentle. Jesus, meek and mild. No, no. God's perfect plan was for Jesus to suffer and die because out of that death, he brought resurrection, life, and power. And God loves you so much, but his perfect plan for you is not your comfy convenience right now. We have all eternity in heaven for that. His perfect plan for you right now is to mold and shape you to be like Christ and for your life to become a source of help and salvation for others. God's got a different agenda to ours. Verse number 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Imagine if that truth found root in our hearts. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to, to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither heart nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can you say amen to that? God's word is beautiful and powerful and faith building. And I want to share with you just briefly this morning, five grips on hope. How do we build our hope? How do we stay gripping onto hope even when things look tough and even when the suffering is building? Number one, your attitude of hope. Attitude is the way you think and we can choose. Either we have the right attitude towards our suffering and struggles or we get it wrong, in which case we're not going to suffer well. Now the big difference is Christians who've learned to suffer well and endure with hope have realized And have adopted an attitude that suffering for a Christian is not punishment, but preparation. It's like childbirth. God is using suffering to fashion and form Christ in you and I. But if we live our lives every time something goes wrong, oh, I'm being punished again, I'm being punished again. Then you're missing what actually God is doing. Our attitude is going to determine how we respond. Remember what we read in Romans 8. It says, we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning as, it, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. There's a sense of something being fashioned and formed like a pregnancy waiting for birth. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently your attitude friends is a weapon and one of the strongest weapons we have as followers of Jesus is the attitude that we adopt towards suffering and hardship in 1 Peter 4 verse 1 now Peter was writing to the church who were going through way more suffering than we are Christians were being persecuted they were being martyred They were being hunted down and he wrote to the Christians and he said, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Don't you love that? Arm yourself with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Arm yourself with the same attitude. I remember when when those riots and protests were happening, to see the community police, how people suddenly seemed to arm themselves. I was quite shocked to see the number of guns that suddenly seemed to appear across Richards Bay. It was frightening. But I realized a whole lot of people must have a whole lot of guns somewhere in their houses. 
But what happened through that situation was people armed themselves. Friends, don't leave your attitude that we have of Christ lying somewhere next on your Bible, next to your bed. No, no, arm yourself with the same attitude. We have an attitude that suffering is a normal part of Christian experience and God is going to use it in our lives and we'll see for preparation, not for punishment. So change your attitude from one of whining, groaning, mumbling, God's punishing me to Lord, you're preparing me as Christ is formed in me. In Galatians 4 verse 19, Paul said this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. Remember, God's original plan, he created Adam and Eve in the image of God. That's God's plan and God never changes his plans. Sin messed it up. Sin destroyed that image. And so he sent Jesus and Jesus came to save us and Jesus is the image of God, the visible image of God. And now he sends his Holy Spirit and his word to continue his purpose. I want to see my image here on earth. Someone uh, observed once there was uh, one of these uh, sculptors and he had a block of granite or marble or whatever it was in front of him and he had a picture of a horse on the side and he's chipping away. And this guy looking and says, you telling me you're going to try and carve, how do you carve a horse out of a block of stone? And the sculptor says, it's really quite easy. You just chip away everything that's not horse. Now, now that's what God is doing in our lives. But he uses the chisel and the little hammer of suffering and struggles. We think surely it's while we're worshiping the Lord, that's when God is shaping and molding us. When I go to that conference and we're just experiencing, oh, the love of Jesus is so wonderful, that's not when you're changing. It's when we walk through the struggles and the hardships and these wrestles inside of us, and either we stand in faith or we fade and fall. No, no, we stand and put, that's when Christ is being formed in us. If you think back on some of the times in your life when you grew the most, It wasn't a Christian conference. It was during a season of suffering and struggle, but you persevered. And in the midst of that, God revealed himself in a deeper way. And you came out of the other side. Land claim, losing my dream. God, where are you? Come out of the other side. You look back and you say, thank you, Lord. I don't want to go through that again, but thank you, Lord. You brought me through. Number two, those who learn to hold on to hope have realized that we have help in the midst of the struggle. What I'm basically saying is, if you are suffering alone, you're doing it wrong. We never called to suffer and struggled alone. It says in uh, verse 26, Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We do not suffer alone. And so many of you know that glorious Psalm 23. Remember I think verse 4, when I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's in those valleys that we find that God is with us. Remember the stories, maybe you read them recently, maybe you remember them from Sunday school days about Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, thrown into the fiery furnace, but three were thrown in, four were seen in the fire. Why? Because Jesus was there. I'm with you when you're suffering. You will not suffer alone. I'm with you. When Stephen is being martyred, 
He's being stoned to death, the most horrific way of dying, rocks flying at him. He looks up to heaven and Jesus is no longer seated on his throne and says, Jesus, standing, looking down, I'm with you, my boy. We don't suffer alone. But have you learned in the midst of those, not to turn from God, angry with God, why are you letting this happen? But rather to go to God, spirit of adoption, go to your father, father, I need you. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, please don't let me give in to this temptation. Holy Spirit, please, I need your help. I need your love. I need your strength. I need to know you with me. The fellowship of sharing in his suffering. In Joshua 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you? as he was about to embark on all of these battles. Do not be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When Paul was speaking about the armor of God, there will be a day of evil. So you take up the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And then he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Pray in the spirit. Don't struggle alone. Don't fight the enemy alone. Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, help me to pray. Holy Spirit, I'm leaning upon you. Third way, as we build our hope and keep on hoping in the midst of struggles, is keep up your hope in the process of God. God has got a process that's at work in your life right now. If you forget what God's process is, you can end up going around the desert and the mountains over and over. We read in verse number 28, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God has got a destination. When I was uh, recently with Quentin and Nikki, we were in Spain, and we were taking a train from Madrid to get to Salamanca, which is the church we were going to be ministering at. And I've been there before, so I had a little pin saved on my Google Maps. That's the destination point. The problem was, I wasn't exactly sure which station we were supposed to get off at, and I was worried that the wrong, we'd given them the wrong station information. So I'm looking at the train. I can see this little moving dot on the map. But the problem was the dot was here that's moving. And the stationary dot is there. And they were far apart. And I kept thinking the train's about to stop. And we're going to have to get off. And it's far. And the Lord, like normal, 99% of the things God says to me is, trust me, trust me trust me. So I'm like, oh Lord, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And after all of this agonizing because of the train, I kept thinking it's about to stop at a station and we have to get off. Actually, it dropped us 150 meters away from the house we were trying to get to. Now in a big city, 150 meters away from your... Here's the thing. God has got a pin drop and his name is Jesus. And he's looking at your laugh. He's looking at your laugh. He, oh, he's looking at Adam's laugh. Yeah, my son saying, okay, okay, okay. There's a big gap. No, no, I'm teasing. But God is moving each one of us towards the pin drop of Jesus. And Jesus is not going to move. We have to move. And the way he moves us and molds us is not through the conferences. and the, It's through the challenges and struggles. Romans 5. Verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, listen to this, but we also glory in our sufferings. Hectic. We glory in our sufferings 
Because we know, that's the key, that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given us. This is part of God's process. And here's the amazing thing. Even Jesus went through it. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, sinless, still went through suffering. And suffering is now sacred. Suffering came into the world with sin. And God, by His wonderful engineering brilliance, now uses suffering to get sin back out of the world. So Jesus had to go to the cross in suffering to be able to set us free. It says in Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. Listen to this marvelous thing. His suffering became a source of our salvation. And we're not going to save people eternally from hell, but if you allow it, God will use your suffering to become a source of to help save someone else. Let me give you an example. You've lost a loved one, a spouse, a child. You've been through a bankruptcy. You've had a dream ripped out of your life and you went through this season of suffering and yet in the midst of it, you found your revelation of God stood firm. You received the comfort of Christ. You know what's gonna happen? God's gonna send you people. And you're going to find people cross your path who've lost a loved one, had their dream ripped from you. And in that moment, you'll realize my suffering is now becoming a source to help with their salvation. And out of what you've received from God, you can now minister. Honestly, I've done plenty, plenty of funerals, but I struggle at funerals because by the grace of God, I've never lost a very close loved one. I've got both my parents, all my brothers, sisters. I've never dealt with close. And so I, I kind of want to help and minister, but it's from the word as opposed to from my life. But you get someone, Viv Atterbury, who, who then says, I've had my husband murdered. Let me talk to you about loss. Suddenly it's way, way, way deeper. God takes our suffering, turns it to a source for salvation. Very quickly, number four then. If we're going to keep a grip of hope in the midst of struggles and suffering, we've got to keep our hope in the character of our God. Hope equals confidence in who God is. Verse 31 we read, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The more you know your God, the more confident you are in who God is, the more you'll be able to hold on to hope. As an eldership team, 11 years ago, we walked through this building project and we had to learn, Lord, you, you, you've spoken to us about your gracious hand. Now you've got to show us. And, and miraculously in one year, this first building project was done and paid for. Now, fast forward 10 years, we're doing this building project. And one year came and went, and we're still digging in the ground. And another year goes by, and it's like, dear God, what's the problem? Has Quinton sinned in some way? What is the problem? <laughs> we're looking for, like, what's happening here? <laughs> Kidding. But here's the thing. No, no, no. You've got a testimony, you've got no excuse. God, you showed yourself faithful. 
Now, maybe the timing is not going according to our timing, but Lord, we have no excuse to have anything but confidence in you. You've shown us your gracious hand. You will show us your gracious hand. Does that make sense? It's confidence in the midst of the struggle. The enemy's going to convince you, does God really love you? Is God really powerful? Does he really care about your prayers? Is he really with you? All of those bombardments will come from the enemy. The Bible says, fight the good fight, not against Satan, but of faith. The fight against Satan has been won by Jesus. The fight of faith is now ours to fight. We have to keep the fight. No, my God is faithful. I don't know why the prayer hasn't been answered yet, but just wait. Wait. I have confidence I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for him. I know he's loving. That means he's still operating in love. Maybe this feels unfair, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Anyway, let's land very quickly then. Last one, number five. How do we keep our grip on hope? It's the hope of our identity. This one's a little bit harder for me to speak about because this is the hope of our identity that we are victors and not victims. And there might be some of you fellow self-pity strugglers with. That didn't come out right, but you know what I mean. Let's have a self-pity anonymous meeting. My name is Brent and I've struggled with self-pity in the past. You know what the problem with that is? You kind of feel sorry for yourself, like life's not fair. It's like, God, why does this happen to me? And like, like whining like a little baby. Maybe you know someone like that. (laughs) But the reality is, it's hard to maintain hope when you're thinking like a victim. The Bible's very clear. It says in Romans 8.37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither heart nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Friends, if you like me have allowed yourself at times to drift into self-pity, wallowing in this, repent. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. He loves us. He's with us. He's sovereign. I'm not a victim. I remember a friend of ours who leads a church, Ashley Bell is his name, he leads a big church in Joburg uh, in Branston. And I remember him telling the story once, they were on a trip, they were going into, I can't remember if it was southern Sudan or Somalia, but one of those areas that are still, it was a war-torn area, they were getting into a refugee camp to go and preach and to minister, to plant a church into this refugee camp. The problem was the only way in was through military escort. And the previous military escort earlier that morning had been ambushed, attacked, and wiped out. And they on the next one. So now he's lying on the back of one of these armored vehicles, driving in, not knowing if they're about to be ambushed at any point. And he says the peace of God came upon him, and he felt God minister to his heart and say there's no safer place in the whole world more than the center of God's will for your life. And it's true. I'd rather be in a dangerous country fully surrendered and yielded to God's purposes and plans, then go off to find safety in the world far from God. Friends, we're not victims. We're victors in Christ. Our God is sovereign. He's in control. He doesn't waste suffering. So I am not a victim. Amen? I want you to stand with me, please. And, and as you stand, I want to read out one more time these five statements If you don't mind closing your eyes just for a moment. 
You are a hope builder. Number one, your attitude either builds up or brings down your hope. Do you need to repent? Do you need to adjust? Do you need to arm yourself with the attitude of Christ? Number two, suffering alone destroys hope. The fellowship of suffering with Jesus is sweet and builds hope. Have you been suffering alone? Or have you been leaning on the Holy Spirit, drawing on the Holy Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit in the midst of your suffering? Number three, knowing the processes of God and where they take you builds hope. Thinking that your life is random and out of control makes you feel hopeless. Do you trust that your heavenly Father is moving you towards that little dot, that pin location on his eternal map, and that pin location is called Christ. He's molding you and shaping you. Number four, trusting the character of God is a big hope builder. God is good all of the time. Doubting his character destroys hope. Has the enemy taken you captive into second-guessing the character of God? Doubting his love, doubting his power, doubting that he's with you. If so, let's repent. Let's come back to our faith and trust in him. And lastly, number five, standing in your identity as a victor, not a victim, builds hope. Living like a victim destroys your hope. And maybe you, like me, need to, Lord, in Jesus' name, want to confess what an insult to our loving God to fall into his self-pity party. Lord God, you have given yourself for us through Christ. You are with us. You love us. You have good plans and purposes for us. You are in control of our lives. Forgive us, dear God, for ever falling into self-pity. Jesus, our hope and our trust is in you. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, you've called us to be a people who shine the light of hope. And for us in our nation, where for many It's difficult times, struggle times, hard times. Lord God, it feels like you're commissioning us afresh to shine the light of the hope of Christ. Help us, Lord God. Let your word produce fruit in our hearts, we pray. Just with our eyes closed for a moment, maybe you're here this morning, friends, and maybe you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, the living hope. Maybe you've never been born again into that living hope. Remember I spoke about it's like a marriage. You say, yes, Lord. Just like a husband or a wife says yes to a husband and the two become one flesh. That's the same thing when we give our lives to Christ. We say, yes, Lord. I surrender my all to you. And if you've never become a Christian, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's time for you to begin calling on the name of the Lord, saying, yes, Lord, I open my heart to you. Lord, I want to be free of my sin. I confess my sin. I surrender to you. And if that's you today, we would love to pray with you as well. And so we're going to be praying for some folk right now. And you're welcome to come and join us. Bible says if you're sick, actually before you call the doctor, it says you should call the elders. Well, we've got elders right here. This is a great time to call on the elders who will anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus and pray over you and it says God will make the sick person well. We're going to trust him for that. So you're welcome to come and join us if you need prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your incredible goodness. Thank you that we are a people of hope because you're the God of all hope. Thank you that our, your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. 
And God's people say, 